waiting is one of those things that we really have to practice to do well. And I can, uh, can tell you I'm not real good at it. I'm just not as patient as I need to be. But in our text today and in the story that we're sharing, it requires the patience of Joseph. Joseph, who will call the, the, the father of Jesus. As we talk about the story, I look at the scripture and to find it's a part that we almost never read. When was the last time you, you read chapter 1 of the book of Matthew? You know, it's really a part of the Christmas story, and yet we always bypass it. I mean, who wants to read one begat after another begat after another, and most names are somewhat unfamiliar to us. If you read the list in Luke, which is found in chapter 3 in that book, not a part of the Christmas story, but there just before Jesus uh, begins his public ministry, it reads like a long list of folks. You go, who is that again? Who is that? I don't know much about that one. Who could that be? Always beginning uh, in one end or another to tell you about Jesus, moving to Joseph, then on. Uh, in this account, Matthew begins with Abraham. In the other account, uh, as Luke tells the story, it begins with Jesus being the son of, of Joseph, going back all the way to Adam, who is called then also a son of God. So why do we look at or want to know a story like that. It's one sense, and uh, what we're doing is looking at genealogy. And I thought about how we do that. Oftentimes, we today can look in a place like Ancestry.com. Uh, there are other ways or places you can go online or visit uh, libraries, believe it or not, that carry large volumes of ancestry material, and you can study up on your family tree if you want. And you'd go, why would I want to do that? <laughs> or maybe you've already done it. Some of you may have done that and you found more than you wanted to know. Or maybe it's surprised that you did it by someone you found. But to ask you kind of where does it start? In one sense, uh, Matthew is inviting us to walk around in the family graveyard with uh, Jesus. Uh, that is the folks who are part of his family who've died before my first experience as a child ever attending a funeral was that of my Uncle Floyd, my dad's only and also younger brother. He had died, um, was killed. Uh, we don't know the details, and who would tell a five-year-old anyway about how? But I remember going to the funeral, and, it, and tradition then was at the end of the service when all was said, right before you walked out the door and walked across the yard to the cemetery, uh, they would have a last time for people to come by. Open the casket back up, set the lid, family came by. And I remember <clears throat> as a five-year-old approaching the casket for the first time, not having seen it before, putting my feet up, my hands on the edge, looking up over to see who this person was. And to my great surprise as a five-year-old, the man in the box looked just like my dad. And it scared me for a moment. I looked over my shoulder and saw my dad standing there. And I thought, sheesh, that was close. Who was that anyway? And then when the service was over, we went outside and they had that and had some dinner for the family. And, and my parents walked around in the cemetery with us and talked to us about other members of the family. My grandmother was there and some others that were aunts and uncles of theirs that I'd never met before. Uh, and it was an interesting beginning, my one experience at the beginning, what it's like to be a part of a family and what you're trying to, to do by looking at it. 
We may go to look for relatives uh, sometimes because we're just curious. You know, who do I have back there anyway? Is there someone who did something great or noteworthy? Or maybe you kind of want to cover that one up in the end of it. Once we were talking about my family and looking back at the tree, and I asked about my great-grandparents' generation, and the thing I was told, because I asked were there any preachers in the family, and the answer was no, but we had some moonshiners. And I quit looking after that. I thought, you know, you just after a while, you find a relative that you say, okay, that's enough. We're going to stop. We're not going to go any farther than that. Uh, when this account was written, perhaps part of the reason it was placed in the New Testament is of other things were happening at the same time. When the gathering of this material and the New Testament was coming into existence itself, also... Uh, the emperor, uh, the first one being uh, the claim that being a son of God was Julius Caesar and followed by Augustus Caesar. They each made a case that their family was a part, <coughs> descendants of the goddess Venus. And that became, <coughs> in their day and time, something important. To hear the story of Jesus is to look at the way he is there and what, who is he? Where did he come from? What does his presence today mean to us? And how does that change the world we're in? I'm sorry, excuse me. The two genealogies are kind of elaborate. Uh, the one in Matthew has three sets of 14 generations. If you take the time to count over it, you'll find that and they didn't fill it out quite right. There's only 13 names in two of them. But you know, they're attempting to give that description of where Jesus' heritage is. <clears throat> where did it come from? And then what does it mean? You'll find in it, when they give a pairing of uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, <clears throat> the wives, the mothers of them are never mentioned. Such is the time in which they wrote. You say, but they did all the work. And they didn't even get their name in the book. And, however, as we step into the family cemetery of Jesus' family, you'll find noted names. He lifts Abraham as the first and oldest of the names. <clears throat> Abraham, of course, is the great man of faith to whom God made the promise that he had become a father of many nations. From him we have of course, the people of Israel and the promised land, and it came. It's more than that. He also mentions uh, in it people like uh, Tamar, who was a, a character that chased after Judah. Mentions four different women, she being one. Ruth, a Moabite woman who uh, <coughs> loved her a grandmother, Ruth, so much that she was willing to travel back to the land where <coughs> she grew up her mother-in-law did, and said, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your God will be my God. And so remember who Ruth was. Bathsheba, it says, uh, was Uriah's husband. Didn't even mention her name, but that's who it was. And she was the adulteress whom King David married. He was an adulteress too, in the way it was done. <clears throat> Women, in his day, really were a prophetic description that they are in the scriptures. It's to say to us that, that he really makes no distinction in the writing between it having to be male or not. <clears throat> Women have a full part <coughs> in the work of Christ's church. Jesus includes all of us in his kingdom. 
He marks the names of people like Judah. We all remember him because he was the head of one tribe. The Jews get their name from him, and so does their faith called the Jewish faith from the tribe of Judah. Probably the central and largest uh, tombstone you'd find in that, that um, uh, cemetery would be that of King David, a most noted figure in the Jewish people. A great uh, man, a warrior, a poet, a singer, a king, a soldier, a man who was powerfully filled with contradictions. While he could live in unethical ways, He's also one of whom God says, he is a man after my own heart. You see the lineage behind Jesus. Manasseh ruled for 45 years. He said he probably had to pay for his own tombstone. The people thought so little of him. He was a great politician. Only in that process, he allowed every possible fate that there was around them to come and make home among the people of Israel, which brought about their ruin. Josiah is mentioned not because he is a king, because he is a great reformer of the faith. And then there is, in the last name in the graveyard, that of Joseph himself, being the father of Jesus. <clears throat> now, uh, was Joseph really the father of Jesus? Well, we say yes. Well, no, no. You say no, but, but yes he was. I mean, in one sense, you would say, isn't he really his stepfather from the very beginning? Well, yes, I guess that's one way we might describe it in that he learned that uh, he was not the natural father of this child who Mary was going to have. It is a powerful story. One, when he learns the news, he begins to think, now, what shall I do? We're engaged, and I learn that she is going to have a child. He's not yet heard a word from God about what he should do, but he begins to think, what should I do? How do we come up with decisions when we have questions to answer? A very common way to do it, a, day, a way we often practice today, commonly used by all of us, we simply ask other people. You know, let me tell you what's going on. What would you do? How do you think I should answer that? It might be the confidence of someone very close to you. It might be you talk to, uh, you go to the online and put it on the internet and ask them, what would you do? And people have all kinds of answers and you look through all of them and decide, okay, I think that's the right one and you follow it. That's not an uncommon way for people to get answers to their questions and decide what to do next. You just ask other people. But Joseph didn't do it that way. He, did, he said he would not embarrass her. He would put her away quietly without others knowing either the why or what has happened. It was the best thing he could do and go on about his own life and her go about hers. That was in his plan at the moment. But he did not in any way want to hurt Mary. He decided that. That was his plan. Now, you know, some people might say, I know how you make decisions. You take out the Bible, you study it well, and whatever it says, you do it. That is the best way I know. Just always do exactly what the Bible says, and you can't go wrong. There are people who really believe that's the only way you read the Bible is do everything in it word for word. But you know, if Joseph had followed what the Bible says, this is what he would have done according to Deuteronomy chapter 22. 
He would have done this. It says she is to be taken out and stoned to death in front of the people. He didn't do that. He'd have nothing to do with that. That was not his plans. The Bible has some other things to say too. It says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It says that. Not the way we are going to act or should act, but it says that. It says if a man finds anything displeasing in his wife, let him give her a divorce and send her out of the house. It says that. Do you know that? It really does. We know better than to do it, but it says it anyway. And it says, let a woman keep her head covered and her mouth shut. I was almost afraid to say that this morning. You know that? (laughs) But we know that is not all it says. It does say that. But it's how we read that book and understand its words, what the picture is being painted in front of us, and how we may follow it that is important. We come to the story of Christmas Somehow we've managed in our culture to reduce it to a Santa Claus, a reindeer, and a snowman. None of which seem to apply. Where do we find the heart of the story? Could it be found on this very first Sunday of Advent, ahead of what we traditionally celebrate, we're talking about a central figure in the story almost ignored later in the person of Joseph. Do we learn something about what it means to be a person of faith? How do I feel about Christmas myself? Jesus isn't born yet in this part of the story. Mary is not even in labor. But you know, Christmas is already coming in the attitude of Joseph. But he makes that decision. As the angel speaks to him and says, Joseph, that child is born of the Holy Spirit. You're to take him and you're to care for him. And this is what he said. Take Mary as your wife. Take care of her. I've chosen you to raise her baby. Don't forget, Joseph. I want you to raise the baby, to feed the baby, take care of the mother. You care for that baby, Joseph. And he did. That's what we know about the character of Joseph. Christmas really already has begun when you find a person of that kind of character who does what's right, no matter what others think, who has the understanding to search the scripture beyond simply what any given sentence may say, but understands what God is saying through them. He knows That God is speaking to him. The scriptures speak to the human condition. It also gives light to the love of God that's around us. And his kindness that's to be shown in us. And that brings the best of Christmas out in all of us. Better than any of the other things I shared. Next of kin is the word we use to describe Someone closest to us. If you ever go to uh, the hospital and there comes a moment that you can't answer for yourself according to your medical needs, the doctor's going to go looking for that next of kin. That person that has the legal right to now answer questions that need to be decided. And you'll not really want to be that person in that setting. 
But in this setting, we learn who Jesus' kin was. And now we are part of it. We follow him as the children of God. There's something special about what Joseph is. Not simply the role he played, but the attitude with which he approached it. Compassion and caring. A sense of God's purpose and a willingness to then give his life to do exactly what God wants of him. And if he had not done that, if he'd simply obeyed the scripture, simply followed through on Deuteronomy chapter 22, there'd be no more Mary, there'd be no Jesus. But he understood that God had another plan, and he was willing to be a part of it. It's like us today. It's easy to go shopping for gifts. It's easy to gather in crowds of familiar people, family, and friends. It's another thing to begin to share gifts and needs with those who are strangers to us. Children for the children's home. Others in our community on the Angel Tree Project. And maybe many others that we don't even know about or in front of you. It's our chance to be Christian. To be the kind of people today that people can see and know that Christ truly is alive. Now, I'll have a prayer, and then we'll have our, our closing hymn. And at the end of that, as we sing the last stanza, we invite those who may wish to join to come forward at that time. Let's pray together. <clears throat> our Father, we thank you as we come to this beginning of the season of Advent, that Jesus had such a great lineup of kinfolks. People who were big in the faith. And then there were those who were questionable in character, but very much used by your grace and power. And Lord, that's the way you work. We too want to be Christian. As much as Joseph was that day, when he chose not to run, but to stay. To be a part of what you're doing, wherever it may lead. In the name of Jesus, amen.